Heavenly Father, God, this morning as we've worshipped you and continue to worship, I ask that you'll send your Holy Spirit to just guide our hearts and our thoughts. May you challenge us. May you move us. May we be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. The summer between my freshman and sophomore year at Southern Adventist University, I needed a job. See, I believe in working very hard, especially in the summers. Uh, And as a kid, every summer I would work my tail off. I worked at at stained glass factories. I was the uh, church maintenance man for a while. I worked at Blockbuster. I did literature evangelism in the summers. I worked my tail off. And in this summer, I was staying at my house, my parents' house in Calhoun, Georgia. And I decided that I wanted to work for the hospital. So I went over to Advent Health Gordon. This is a, a fairly recent picture of it. It's a beautiful hospital up there. And I applied for a job. It's not the highest job. It's not the most uh, um, bougie job. I applied to be a janitor. Sent my application in. And uh, I got called back, and they said, come on in, we, we'd like to interview you. And so my, my boss, Carolyn, interviewed me to be a janitor at the hospital. And after I started, she trained me a couple days, and then I was on my own. And I got one of those little carts that every, everybody wants, whether you will admit it or not. You know the carts. It's got the trash bag on it. It's got the mop bucket with the mop. You can hang a vacuum on the side. These are, these are nice items. And so I'd have one of those, and I, some days I'd work on med surge, and I'd clean the, the, the rooms there. Sometimes I'd work in the ER. I never worked in the maternity ward, thank the Lord, because I've had babies, and it gets messy in there. <laughs> I loved being a janitor. It was a lot of fun. There were several different parts of my job that were exciting. One is the fact that you're literally cleaning the room when there's patients there. Some have diseases. There's always family members there. Some are looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing a good job. Um, Sometimes you have to work with other hospital employees. When I'd work in the emergency department, the ER, um, there was often times where I got treated a little differently because I was the janitor. And not by the patients, by some of the doctors. And if you're a doctor, I apologize, you're probably not like this, I'm sure. I I remember this one doctor for sure in the the emergency room, I, I would be cleaning rooms, and this guy loved to bark orders. Hey, you need to take out that trash. Thank you. That's on my list of things to do, yes. Hey, you missed this over here. They would treat me pretty differently, and until they found out who my dad was. (laughs) My dad may have been the most beloved person in the entire hospital, Chaplain Dave. Everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. The kindest man on the planet. He's the one that would not only minister to the patients and their families, but to the employees of the hospital too. And everybody knew him and loved him. And so this lowly janitor all of a sudden got treated differently because I knew the chaplain of the hospital. I think of janitors in a different way than maybe many people do, because I think janitors are maybe the most important role in the hospital. Because without janitors, nobody else can do their job. And as a janitor, you can think of it two different ways. You can think of it as a means to an end, where you do it for the paycheck, you do it for the money, you just go in, you clock in, and you you clean things, you wipe them down, and you get paid. Or you can think of it as a way to serve somebody else. 
serving the patient that is sick and ill and needs a clean space, uh, serving the family that's there because their beloved uh, loved one is having a hard time. And when you think of it at that way, as serving someone else, your job means so much more. This morning, we're going to look at the words of Jesus because he defines his purpose in coming to earth, and it's our purpose and calling as well, and I think it's one of the most effective ways to cause and affect. If you have your Bibles, I invite you just to turn with me to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can uh, use the Blue Pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 716 where you'll follow along just the words I'm reading too. And while you turn there, I'll give you some context. Mark chapter 10. Jesus has been gaining a lot of visibility. He's been teaching. People are flocking to him. And because he's getting so much visibility, his disciples are getting a lot of face time as well. And they love it. Now they've gone from being the failures that couldn't make it in the Jewish school system and had to go back to their family trade. Now they've become popular and they start thinking about their own brand. They start thinking about what they can do and how they can flex and how they can gather a following as well. And uh, in Mark chapter 10, you see this kind of ongoing story of Jesus and his disciples and, and others as well. The Pharisees don't love it that Jesus is becoming popular. They're trying to trap him with questions that'll make him go against what the, what the other people believe. Uh, at one point here, in uh, verse 16, you get to see a, another side of Jesus. Here's what it says in Mark 6, 10, 16. Jesus took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. I love this because it shows me a different picture of God. He's not a, he's not a faraway God that, that holds you at arm's length. He's one that wants to pull you in close and sit you on his lap and look you in the eyes and touch your face. He's a relational God that loves this close contact. Going through Mark chapter 10, even some more, uh, Jesus at one point, he's walking down the road. A guy follows him and and, uh, begins to talk to him. And he says, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, go and uh, uh, obey the commandments. He said, I already do that. He says, okay, go and sell everything that you have. And this man, he says, he can't do that. It's too much. Verse 23, here's what it says. Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I've thought about this verse a little bit this last week as I've been thinking of mission and our church and and reaching the lost. Why is it that it's so much easier to spread the gospel with a lower income demographic? Have you noticed that? A higher uh, economic demographic seems to not be quite as open to it. And I wonder if it's because of the lack of the sense of need. If you have everything you have, then why do you need anything else? I don't know. These are just things to think about. Cruising through Mark chapter 10, um, we get to a part where Jesus foretells his death. He's telling the disciples, it's, the, it's his 12 besties, and they're there, and he's saying, um, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die for the entire world, I'll be spit on, I'll be mocked, I'll be flogged, and he's looking for some comfort, and right after he gives them this uh, prophecy of what's going to happen, we get the conversation that we're going to look at today. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, here's what it says in my Bible. Here's what it says. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Have you ever heard those words? 
If you're a parent, you have heard those words. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. If you're a parent, you've seen it before, you know exactly what it is. You're sitting on the couch, and your kids come into the room, they're all dressed up, they're sharp, smiles on their face, twinkling on their eye, no fighting. They come up to you and you know what's going to happen before they even open their mouths. And they say, Dad, Mom, we'd like you to do for us whatever we ask. Have you seen this before? Have you seen this before? Yeah, I see, there's some more heads nodding. I, I know I'm not the only one. And, and, and you know whatever they're going to say next is up to no good. And your eyes roll back so hard in your head that you get a headache. And you're just waiting for whatever they say to come out of their mouths. We want you to do whatever we want, basically. Here's what happens. These disciples say this. And so Jesus, like a good parent, verse 36, he says, What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Verse 37, they said, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Let one of us sit on your right, let one of us sit on your left in your glory. See, these disciples, they're thinking of this kingdom that he's been talking about as this earthly kingdom he's about to set up. And they say, we want some of that, Jesus. You, you, you got the main throne, we want the ones on the side. You've seen throne rooms before. There's the main throne, it's for the king, it's for, it's for the, the president. And that the side seats are for other people that have power because of association. It's the vice president. It's the, it's the queen to the king. It's the, uh, the second in command. And they have power because of who they know. It's power because of their association. It's like somebody getting a Super Bowl ring, but they rode the bench all year long. They never played a game ever, yet they get a ring because they're on the team. And these disciples, they say, Jesus, do for us whatever we ask. We want to be on your left and your right. See, they're, they're missing the point. Jesus is saying, I am about to go and die for all humanity. And they say, well, because you're uh, going to die, we want to ride along on your coattails as you have this majesty here. Uh, they, they're seeing him as a resource to get glory and honor and power, not as the king of kings and lord of lords and savior. They're just seeing him as this rising power, and they want some of it as well. It's almost like they feel entitled to it, like they deserve it. This last Thursday morning... I woke up early. I always wake up early on Thursdays to work on my sermon because it's perfectly quiet here at the church. Nobody's around. There's no distractions. So I drove in very early, got to the church, and uh, I looked at my phone. And at the top, where it's supposed to have those cell phone bars, all it said was S-O-S. Any of you experience this? You guys have AT&T, don't you? So for the first couple of hours of sermon prep, I was Googling on how to fix my phone. Reset it, you guys did it too, didn't you? How many times did you reset your phone trying to figure this out? Reset it, I was on Reddit looking at different options here. I was about ready to buy a new phone. I mean, it was frustrating. Tried to make a call, no internet, no, no uh, Facebook, no Instagram. I mean, I felt like uh, I was one of those movies. You watch those movies, I know you do. The, one, the, the end of the world is here. So, something's happened, someone's taking over the United States. And I, at one point I thought, this is ridiculous. I pay money for this. Turns out it's this national, across the country problem. It's on national news. And at one point I thought, I, have a, I pay every month 
for my cell phone to be able to make phone calls. And I about stormed into an AT&T somewhere. You know I'm kidding, I'm not like this. But I wanted to storm into an AT&T and say, fix my phone. Like, I, I deserve this. I pay money for this. And these disciples, like they're an angry cell phone customer that doesn't have service, they go to Jesus and they say, would you do whatever we ask you to do? What we really want is to have all the power that you have, and we want to sit on your left, and we want to sit on your right. They want the power. They want the control. And Jesus responds with a question in verse 38, where he says this. He says, James and John, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's saying the power that I have comes with the greatest price ever of giving up my life. He says, can you drink that cup? Can you be baptized? What's frustrating to me is that they give their answer, and it's the most embarrassing answer in the Bible. It's in verse 39, and they simply say, we can Oh, it makes me angry to read that. Makes me want to walk up to James and John and slap them in the face and say, watch your mouth, boys. You know, I don't think that they really understood what Jesus was asking. There's no way they could have understood it and replied that way. I I wonder if their understanding of Jesus was just so simplistic and they thought, oh, he's rising in power and we'll go with him, but they just didn't understand the sacrifice that he was about to give. James and John's life was lived and they died for the cause. They ended up drinking that cup and being baptized. James was the first of the disciples to die by the sword of Herod for the sake of the cause. And John was the longest to live of the disciples, yet he died as well for the sake of the cause. But our story goes on as the other disciples hear James and John bickering about their place. And finally in verse 43, you get Jesus' words to you and me, as he defines his mission and purpose. Verse 43, it says this. Jesus says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tells him point blank what his life and his purpose is for, and he simply says, it's to be a servant and to be a slave. Now, if you uh, are interested at any level in Old Greek, New Testament Greek, or if you've been around the church very, very much, then you would know that there's two Greek words for the same word, servant. Here they are on the screen. Diakonos and doulos. And Jesus uses both of these words in this one passage. He says, if you want to be first, you must be a diakonos. If you want to be great, you must be a doulos. Uh, the, the literal translation for diakonos is someone who exists to serve, a servant, a minister. Uh, we get the English word deacon from this word. Uh, it's someone who exists to serve and minister. Forest Lake Church has some of the best deacons ever. They, the last couple of years, they've been growing, they've been getting bigger, they've been more active. 
active, you'll see them on Sabbath morning. They're out front with the blower. They're blowing off the leaves off of the the, uh, sidewalks. They're setting up tables. They're unlocking doors. They're turning on the lights. They're putting chairs together. They're super active because they understand what a diakonos is. It's It's someone that will serve and will minister. And when Jesus says, if you want to be great, you must be a diakonos, he's saying that you want to be great, you've got to serve. If you want to rise up and be powerful, you've got to serve. And in the context of the mission of the church, if you want to be a powerful, unstoppable force for Jesus, if you want to cause an effect, you've got to serve too. You've got to serve others. But there's more because Jesus doesn't just use that word diakonos. He uses the word doulos too. This word for slave, someone who belongs to one another or to another. This is someone that is owned by their master, someone that's completely sold out for their master, someone that was, is submitted to their master, that will do anything for their master. In the New Testament, when this word is used, it's not a negative connotation. It's not looking down on someone and saying, oh, you're just a slave, you're just a servant. This word is reserved only for those uh, uh, Christians that are fully and dedicated to the cause. Paul even describes himself this way in Romans. He says this, he sa- here it is on the screen for you. He says, I am Paul, a doulos, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. It takes both diakonos and doulos, service and sold out committedness to make an effect, to cause an effect. It's almost like Jesus, he says, you wanna be the greatest? You gotta serve. You wanna be the most effective for me? Do as I do and serve others. And that's what Jesus says our purpose is too, is to serve others. He's not the king that goes into the room to be waited on hand and foot, to have someone fanning him and dropping grapes into his mouth one at a time. That's not who God is. He's the one that says, I came to serve. And when I think of the mission of reaching others, I think of it through the pure perspective of Jesus. He understood his purpose. He understood his cause. He understood his calling. He understood how to reach people, and it was all about serving them. And that stands in a stark contrast to what so many of us think our purpose and existence is for. We constantly think about ourselves. We constantly are caught up in the demands of life that we put on ourselves. Our busy schedules, our extracurricular activities, the things that we buy that make us work hard to pay for the things that we buy. We do it to ourselves. And what happens is that we become more focused on the best tasting food at the finest restaurant in Orlando, or what are the best activities for my kid, or what are the finest vacations that we can take as a family. We become so focused on that that we put in the back seat the fact that there are people all over Apopka in Central Florida that don't know who Jesus is and the saving power of a relationship with him. I'm reminded of the parable of the lost coin that Jesus talks about in Luke. Coins are are special things for different people. When you're a young kid, they're worth a lot of money. I remember when my kids probably seven, eight years ago, when they were little kids, they'd see a penny on the ground. They would pick it up like it was a million bucks. Look at that, Dad, a shiny penny. Now they walk right by it, a dollar bill. They don't even care about it anymore. Inflation, of course. 
when, uh, when my kids were little, my awesome wife, she went online and she ordered these piggy banks. I think they're from Dave Ramsey, and they, they have three different compartments in them. Maybe you've seen them before. One is saving, one is, sa- is a spending, and one is giving. And so when you get money, you split them up into these different compartments so you know how to manage money. And, and at one point when we were trying to teach our kids the value of money and working hard, we, we ordered these piggy banks and it came with a whiteboard. And you could write on the whiteboard different jobs and how much you could earn if you did those jobs. Except that I'm cheap and Jen just followed along. And so instead of being like a dollar, it'd be like, you get a dime, okay? Go get the mail, it's a dime. You, go take the trash out, 10 cents, there you go, kids. They didn't know any better. We just, we just kept going. And Jesus tells this parable of this woman that loses a coin. And it's incredibly valuable to her to find that lost coin. Here's, what, here's how Jesus describes this story. Luke chapter 15. Does this woman not light a lamp and sweep the house and flip over the couch and move the rug and search carefully until she finds that coin? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. It goes on, In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the kind of passionate heartache that drives someone to do amazing things that cause an effect. That's what happens. That, this is the heart of someone that wants to make causing an effect a priority in their lives. Not because you're supposed to. Not because your pastor told you to. Not because you feel guilty if you don't. It's because you're called to serve and to seek and save the lost. You got the story. You know the person. Now it's all about you sharing it with somebody else. And I'm excited to see what God is doing and what he will do here in the Forest Lake Church. I want to close with a story. It's a story of somebody you know. You may know them. You may remember them. You've probably only seen them once. Here's a picture of them on the screen. These are my friends, uh, Billy and Tiffany Carroll. And if you don't remember them, I'll tell you their story. They live in Michigan. A long ways away, and uh, I ended up giving Bible studies to this couple over Zoom. And last August, if you remember, they flew down to our church because they wanted to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church and they wanted to be baptized here at Forest Lake. Do you remember this? Anybody remember this? Okay, good. This is Billy and Tiffany. They're fantastic. Uh, They are um, just wonderful people. But because I believe that discipleship is not about a baptism— It's about discipling somebody else that can disciple somebody else that will disciple somebody else. We've still continued Bible studies. Every Tuesday since last August, before last August, we still meet over Zoom. I meet with Tiffany at 2 o'clock. I meet with Billy at 5 o'clock. And we spend time together. Now, here's the beautiful part. Uh, They already have a commitment to Jesus. You saw that earlier in August. But now we're working towards helping them disciple somebody else. This last Tuesday, I spent 30 minutes with Tiffany talking about who she's working towards to help them know Jesus. And she's, she's thought through all of her connections with neighbors and co-workers. She works from home, so it's a little hard to think of the co-workers. And she's thought about her friends, and one of her best friends doesn't know Jesus. And so as we talk more and more, she says, this is the person that I really want to share Jesus with. And so she's, she's already started working in that direction. She's already started thinking, how can I reach somebody for Jesus? How can I serve somebody else? Billy, he's another story. What an incredible dude. Uh, A year ago, he was fully agnostic. Didn't know if there even was a God. Didn't know how to pray. Now he's actively serving in his local church. He he does AV. He he gets asked all the time now to lead different parts. In fact, they've asked him to do the prayer and praise time. He didn't know how to pray eight months ago. 
Now he's leading. This last Tuesday, we spent 30 minutes talking about who he is discipling. And he shared his story about how at his work, he's an engineer, at his work, a, a fellow engineer has started asking him questions about God because he's seen the change that's happened in Billy's life. Billy said, he's been asking me questions, and so I gave him a book. I said, what book did you give him? He said, well, I gave him the book that you gave me. I sent him one, he gave it to The guy's read it twice, and now he's got more questions, and so we worked for 30 minutes trying to figure out how do you take asking questions, someone's asking you questions, and how do you turn that into an active Bible study that's leading them on a journey with Jesus? And it's beautiful to watch what happens when somebody submits themselves to, a, to be a sold-out servant of God and to watch the effects that happens as somebody moves forward. That's what's happening here. I want to give you two opportunities today, and then we're going to pray and be done. Here are the two opportunities. They're simply this. The first is in the lobby today. There are probably 25 tables out there that represent some of the ministries of our church. These are opportunities for you to serve. There's prison ministries, there, are, there is uh, pathfinders, there's adventurers. Go find one that fits with you. If it's gift and thrift, if it's the quilting ministry, go find one and serve. I'll, I'll give you two right up front that I think we need lots of help in. The first one are greeters and our connections team. We need, man, I wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice to have 20 to 25 people in the lobby every Sabbath with lanyards on, on with a big smile on your face that's welcoming everybody in, in the church every single Sabbath? We need more of them. There's no age limit on this. Go find the table. Sign up for it. Here's another one. Uh, our golf cart ministry. We have two brand new golf carts, and we need drivers. So if you are 16 and have a driver's license, this could be you. Um, if you don't like people, this could be you. You're just driving. That's all you got to do. <laughs> if you love people, maybe you can ride shotgun and talk to them. I don't know. We'll find a way. Go out. Find a place to plug in and serve. And here's the other one. As you leave today... There will be people that are standing uh, just as you exit the sanctuary that will have invitation cards to Risen. If you don't know what Risen is, it's our Easter pageant that shows the, death, the, uh, the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, it's so powerful that we close our worship service and we worship this in this way. There's thousands of people that come across our campus. And these are invitation cards for you to give to specific people that you know. Maybe you'll take them to the people that you gave roses to a few weeks ago. Maybe you just check up on them and say, hey, did you, did you keep the rose alive? And when they say no, you say, it's okay, I've got another invitation for you. I want to show you this. Invite, it's not a ticket, it's just an invitation. Whatever way you choose to serve, do something to cause an effect. May we always be willing to do whatever it takes to cause an effect for Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, today I'm challenged. Uh, I feel pushed. I feel encouraged. I feel like I want to do something for you, God, and I pray that you'll continue to push the Forest Lake Church to be more and more mission-minded and outward-focused. May we cause an effect for you. God, we love you, and we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.